What if those leaders out there are fine to park the blame or, or attribute this issue with one individual? When actual fact, it's a cultural problem within the organisation. What if that issue is one of lack of diversity or indeed bullying, where people's confidence is being eroded so that their confidence and their self-esteem gets worse and worse and their self-doubt increases? What if we are looking in the wrong place to fix a situation? Good morning, good afternoon and good evening everybody. I'm Ben Morton and a very warm welcome to episode 88 of the podcast. And in this episode we are talking about imposter syndrome with Dr Linda Shaw. Linda is an experienced entrepreneur having owned three businesses herself. She holds a doctorate in cognitive neuroscience specialising in unconscious processing of emotion and behavioural change. She's also a professional speaker and works with senior leaders and their teams who want to better understand the science of change and development. Together, through her work, they harness this power by recalibrating their thinking, thus enabling others to do the same in order to work cohesively to reach the organisational goals. I know you're absolutely going to love this episode, folks, because I did myself and it ebbed and flowed like a meandering river going off in all sorts of fascinating directions, but always coming back to really understanding imposter syndrome, what it is, what it really is, how it affects us as leaders and those that we lead. Dr. Shaw talks about the fact that is imposter syndrome being created by the culture of our organisations? So is it more of an organisational phenomenon rather than an individual one? And one of the things that struck me most from my conversation with Dr Shaw was how part of the solution for managing imposter syndrome feelings is actually the solution to so many human emotional challenges. That is simply breathing or taking a breath. And on that note, let's pause, take a breath, and then jump right in to this fascinating, truly fascinating episode of the podcast with Dr. Linda Shaw. Linda, a very warm welcome to the podcast. Um, It's great to have you with us. And I've really been looking forward to this conversation because what we're going to talk about is something that I am hearing and seeing cropping up so often in my conversations with with leaders. Um, But before we dive into talking about all that good stuff, can I just ask you to sort of uh, introduce yourself, tell us who you are and a little bit about what you do. Okay, thank you, Ben. Well, I'm Linda Shaw. I hold a doctorate in neuroscience, cognitive neuroscience. My doctorate is about unconscious processing of emotion. So I'm a behavioural specialist and I go into organisations and I work with senior people um, to work out what behavioural changes they could make either with themselves or with their direct reports and their seniors to actually make the company more um, effective, more efficient. So yeah, I've, I've got some online programs. I'm a professional speaker. 
I have my background is very much with anthropology, so I'm very interested in cultural differences and perspectives. And I'm also um, a business psychologist, so I'm quite busy. Wow. And by the sounds of that, you are an amazing person to be talking to about imposter syndrome, I think. Well, it is a topic that's quite hot on the lips of a lot of people at the moment for various reasons, which I'm sure we will uncover. But yeah, it is a popular topic out there. Yeah, we'll have to make sure I remember to ask you that question in in a second, sort of why is it popular at the minute? And I think the reason I was keen to get you on the show, Linda, is like imposter syndrome is something that I've kind of heard and seen cropping up a lot lately, be it with kind of my coaching clients or on some programs that that I'm running. I hear it as a topic that people are, are talking about, but it does strike me that I wonder if this is one of those topics, maybe a little bit like introversion, extroversion, that we all talk about quite a lot in business. But yeah, I wonder how much people really understand what it is and and what's going on with it. So I guess the great place to start is, can you just define imposter syndrome for us? Like what what is it and what's going on? Yeah, for sure. Um, Imposter syndrome is actually when people think we are more competent than we believe we are. Um, we feel a fraud. We're not good enough. We feel that when somebody gives us a compliment, we will downplay it, especially if it's an achievement. We think that we've got the position we have because of luck, not because of our credentials or our experience or our degrees or whatever whatever other certification we have. So we feel that rather undeserving. So, yeah, imposter syndrome manifests itself looking like low, low self-esteem, low confidence, perhaps somebody is seeking perfectionism and they're not achieving that because let's face it, perfectionism is actually an illusion or they might be feeling anxious. Those sorts of um, mindset things that get in the way of our progress and it can be very damaging to the individual and very damaging to their organisation. So let's rewind two seconds then. You said at the minute it's, uh, but I think your words were it's a bit of a hot topic at the minute. Like why, why do you think that is? Is it Is it contextual? Is it situational? Or is it just one of these things that in leadership and management speak has just risen to the top and people have suddenly got interested in it? I think we are of an age where we try to normalise mental health issues. And in actual fact, imposter syndrome is a mild form of mental health issue. Or it could be an extreme form, depending how bad it is. But the trouble is when we try to normalise something so that we talk about it more, so that we bring it to the surface, so that we raise awareness, we tend to desensitise ourselves about it. And it becomes a popular topic. And people people somehow stop taking it as not and they're not taking it as seriously as it should be so by normalizing things um in terms of getting people to talk about things we actually normalize it to the point where we almost get to the point of disregarding it it's quite a contradiction so to that line of of thinking then is imposter syndrome something where so i guess the analogy i'm trying to make here and that springs to mind is OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder where we sometimes hear people say oh I'm a little bit OCD or Ben you're a little bit OCD that's actually I think sort of trivializing a very real condition because actually if you suffer from OCD it can be really debilitating right is is imposter syndrome similar in that respect do you think in that for some people it is a 
what's the right word here, a very severe, acute thing that they are struggling with. And then people are using the term quite lightly just because they have a sort of momentary lack of lack of confidence. Absolutely. Uh, 100% correct in my mind, Ben. That's how I look at it, is that because we're trying to do our best and understand one another, we do start to trivialise things which should not be trivialised. And we can all be a bit of everything. There's something called the mm. DSM. We're on, we're on version five at the moment. It's the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Mental Health Disorders. Um, and it's what all psychologists and psychiatrists use around the world, which is great. It's a, it's a big manual, but every new edition gets thicker. Right. We have more and more additions going into this, you know, into this manual. And perfectionism is in there. Right. As a branch of OCD. To be honest with you, nail biting is in there. You know, so we have to be very careful that we don't read into things too much without dismissing the people who really need help. Got you. And it, it is a very fine balance we're at at the moment. So how can a leader or anyone in the workplace to that matter, or I guess anybody even out of the workplace, get an insight and start to understand if we truly are suffering and wrestling with genuine imposter syndrome or perhaps having a momentary lapse of confidence or sort of a, a momentary wobble? Could we play what if? Yeah. Okay, let's play what if. It's my favourite game, what if. What if... The person who has been labelled or believes they have imposter syndrome actually doesn't have it. What if that person is actually taking responsibility for something they're not responsible for? What if those leaders out there are fine to park the blame or, or attribute this issue with one individual when actual fact it's a cultural problem within the organisation? What if that issue is one of lack of diversity or indeed bullying where people's confidence is being eroded very insidiously under the radar so that their confidence and their self-esteem um, gets worse and worse and their self-doubt increases? What if we are looking in the wrong place to fix a situation? Wow. So are you therefore suggesting that some of the time at least imposter syndrome could be a part of organizational culture so it's the organization's culture that is creating this lack of belief lack of confidence uncertainty within individuals yes that's what i'm suggesting not always of course but the suggestion is strong i see it a lot in organizations it's very easy for somebody who's extremely busy as a manager or leader within the organization to think oh crumbs i haven't got the bandwidth for this i've got the shareholders at me i've got this i've got that i've got something else going on and it's very easy for them to say okay it looks if you've got an imposter syndrome you need help by and off they go and not in a nasty way just because they are so busy and they're not addressing the core issues within their organization and the trouble is if that happens what they don't realize is if you have got a workforce or a few members of your workforce whose confidence is gradually being eroded they're not going to communicate properly because they feel isolated mm. they're not going to be creative they're not going to be innovative they're not going to give their best to the organization and that's not just something trite i mean i really mean 
They're going to be off sick. They're going to, you know, absenteeism is going to go up. It's going to cost the organisation a lot of money. So if imposter syndrome is in an organisation, I think it's very wise for the senior leaders to take a look in the mirror and to find out whether actually it's a cultural problem or whether it's an individual problem. And what about if it's the senior leader who's experiencing some of those imposter syndrome feelings? What if it's the CEO or the, the, the MD? Kind of, how would they sort of get a sense of are they truly suffering from imposter syndrome or something else? I think it's a good idea to do a bit of a self-talk measure Um, If it is you believe it is nothing to do with bullying or lack of diversity or any of those things, if you believe actually I do have imposter syndrome, and I've experienced it a little bit myself, I have to admit, if you're experiencing it, then maybe doing a bit of a reality check, a reality check in terms of what habits are you following? What language are you using? What are you actually saying to yourself? You know, the little little Jiminy Cricket that sits on your shoulder whispering in your ear yeah. very loudly, even though it's whispering. You know, sometimes that gets really loud, that voice. Um, so the Jiminy Cricket needs to be listened to because that, that will give you a guideline of what, what what those gremlins are actually saying to you. But then you've got to start listening. You think, okay, I've got to turn this around. I'm not going to listen to that little voice. I'm actually going to start listening to what others are saying to me that are actually good things that I'm dismissing. Yeah. I'm just thinking, oh, they're just being kind or, oh, they're just, you know, they're just having a good day or, oh, if they're very senior, they're sycophants. You know, what you, all of these things that we can dismiss, in actual fact, perhaps they're telling the truth and perhaps we need to believe those things a little bit more. And also, you know, try to come up with some kind of, not an objective measure because this is behavioralism, but some kind of subjective measure where you can perhaps remember what your values are. Perhaps you can have a talk, chat to yourself about that. Maybe you can just remember how far you've come. Remember that, goodness me, I'm now senior in this organisation and I came from, you know, I, I didn't even think I could get to university, something like that. Or maybe they haven't gone to university. They've gone through the ranks because of apprenticeships and hard work and, and being talented in many areas they didn't know they were talented in. So there's the things that one can do to one, for oneself to work out whether this is a lack of confidence because of imposter syndrome or not. It's the fact that there is a lack of confidence that's causing the issue. Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting. It reminds me of a phrase I once heard, and I wish I could remember who who said it to, to give them credit, but I once heard somebody say, it seems to me that we tend to have Velcro for all of the bad habits and Teflon for, for the good ones. And I think it's similar in terms of listening to to feedback, right? The we have Velcro for maybe the voice of self doubt. We listen to that; that tends to stick. But so often we have Teflon for all of the great, wonderful feedback and data that says we're doing well that we get from from other other people. Does that come from sort of the human negativity bias that we have? Do you think or what's what's going on there? Yes, I think it does. It, it could be something to do our up with our upbringing. Um, it could be nature nurture debate going on there. But yes, we do tend to dismiss when people say something good about us. But if if we've got a tendency to do that and it's affecting us, then write down what these people say, and just you know put it in a jar or something and keep revisiting it now and again, just to think. Well, you know, enough people say these things. Maybe there is some truth in it. But equally, you know. 
we also need to pat ourselves on the back and remember our successes. Mm. So we're not reliant on people saying good things. Actually, we can remember the good stuff ourselves. So, so we've got to be kinder to ourselves, I think. Mm. And Linda, do you have any suggestions for how leaders, or, or me, there's a bit of self-help therapy for, for me here, but like in right in the moment when, to use your um, analogy there, when Jiminy Cricket is on our shoulder whispering very loudly into our ear all those thoughts of self-doubt and we need to sort of turn the volume down on him and remember kind of what got us here some of the good feedback we've had from other people is there some sort of a technique we can use in in the moment to remember to to do that because when we're gripped by those negative thoughts it can, it can be hard can't it to make that that change remember what to do in the moment yes it can and that goes for any kind of fear-based responses so what we need to do is we need to literally take a breath right just literally take a nice deep breath and step back and you know you can even trigger you know you, you could maybe use your forefinger and the thumb and dig your their nail in your thumb or something to remind you to take that breath and think, am I being irrational? Hmm. If I'm being irrational, then you, I, I know full well that I'm doing a great job and I'm going to keep uh, – feedback's great, positive feedback is that – well, negative feedback, you know, both really, really helpful, but actually I'm doing very well. So it's, it's actually challenging those irrational voices and in order to do that, we mustn't shoot from the hip with an emotional response. So that's why taking a breath and and just thinking for a moment will actually calm down the sympathetic nervous system, put us back in the parasympathetic nervous system because we're calming ourselves down, we're thinking more clearly, and we will respond more appropriately. Mm. It really does seem to me that breathing really is fundamental to, to so much right other than other than the obvious so many things we talk about the answer is often pause take a breath right it seems like if we can learn to do that it can potentially solve so so many challenges that busy people in the workplace often face I think do you know before the second world war so very much in the 1930s, it was still taught in schools around the country here in the UK that children had breathing exercises to do in school. Wow. Why do we unlearn that stuff, Ben? Why do we unlearn the fundamentals of that? If children were doing breathing exercises as part of their assembly in the morning, which, of course, not many schools do anymore, but some do, just that, just taking a breath and deep breathing for one's physical, mental and emotional well-being. And equally, you know, when we do that, the children will lash out, not thinking, if they're gripped in that emotional response immediately. But if they take a breath, they won't lash out. And it can it can stop so many bigger problems further down the line. Something so simple. Yeah. Do you know, when did that stop being taught? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know. I know my father told me that that he was taught breathing exercises at school on a daily basis. I know of several people of his generation and younger who were taught the same things, but I've not heard of anyone being taught that post-Second World War. Wow. I wonder if that's partly why, again, this is anecdotal, I don't know any data or research on this, but it seems to me that various mental health illnesses and conditions are much more prevalent in sort of the teenage demographic these days than 
they, they were perhaps 10, 15, 20 years ago, or maybe that's because I've got a daughter approaching that age and I'm more more tuned into it. I, I don't know. but Yeah, we, we talk about it a lot more. So it's always very difficult to work out if there are more cases or we have just more aware of them. So it's always quite difficult to get, a, a, get some kind of comparative measure. However, of course, the teenage brain is doing an awful lot of pruning. Their need for their peers is huge absolutely huge and their uh, tick in a box from their peers is more important than teachers or parents therefore they are vulnerable to influences that might not be as useful as other influences and of course these days our teenagers are exposed to cyberbullying, and you know they're in their rooms two o'clock in the morning we have no idea what they're looking at and that's a massive issue massive issue and equally again you don't know that the, the people at the other end are who they say they are. They could be somebody completely different, even a psychopath. And psychopaths are very eloquent, so they use language beautifully and they can draw people in pretending to be someone else. So it's, it is, it's, it's a great worry. It's a great worry, that sort of thing. How do we get onto this from Impulse Syndrome? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure, but it's fascinating. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Quick one for you folks. If you are someone who struggles to proactively manage your time and find as a consequence your days are largely occupied with firefighting and just dealing with the closest most important deadline then you might want to check out my weekly planning protocol course via the link in the show notes. I promise it will help you to feel a lot more in control of your days and weeks. You will likely still have the same number of plates spinning, but just in a much more sustainable and controllable way. You can also take 50% off the investment folks with code LEADON, which is also in the show notes. So do take a look. But now, though, let's get back to this episode. Kind of most listeners are probably of the age where they've got children, so I'm sure they'll be interested in uh, the teenage brain and and leadership. But um, I probably should steer us back to imposter syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) It's your show. It's up to you. (laughs) Um, The other thing I did want to ask you, and actually I'm not entirely sure what the question is here, but early on you mentioned luck, how if we're suffering from imposter syndrome, we can sometimes think that we got here because of luck. Now, that's really interesting because that is one of the big themes I've noticed from recording, what are we on? I've recorded about 85 episodes of this show. So probably I've interviewed maybe 60 MDs and CEOs. And there's a large percentage of those at some stage where, well, do you know what, Ben, I, I was lucky or I had a lucky, lucky break. And I always try and pause and do some exploration around that and say, well, do you really believe you were you were lucky or do you believe you made your, your your own luck? So I just wonder if you say it's not a particularly well-formed question, but can you just elaborate on this luck piece, believing kind of we, we were lucky? In the same way that we listen to the Teflon and the sticky saucepans or whatever your analogy was, in the yeah. same way as that, is that we also tend to forget the hard stuff, the bad stuff. So we forget, we've got a tendency to forget how many times we tried something and didn't succeed. We tend to forget how hard we worked. 
we tend to forget, you know, like that, I believe, was it Michael Caine or somebody, you know, like a duck, you should do it serenely on the surface of the water, paddling like crazy underneath. So we tend to forget those things once we've tasted success and we think, my gosh, wasn't I lucky? I got, I know, I, I got that person ringing me just at the right time. Or, oh, gosh, thank you, thank goodness me, somebody suggested I do a podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you, I was so lucky. You know, so we tend to forget all of that other stuff. So is it luck? Or have we just all of a sudden had the taste of some success and remembering the good stuff? Yeah, that would seem seem to make sense, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's great if somebody does believe they live a fortunate life. I mean, goodness me, I, I do believe I live in a fortunate life because I'm loved and I live in and I love and I live in a country where, where there isn't a war zone. And we, I don't understand famine, thank goodness, or thirst. Not really. So, yeah, I'm an extremely fortunate person. And often they come up with statistics of, like, you know, the top 5% globally or something, if you can walk to your place of worship without being in fear of a sniper. I mean, all of these things that we read and hear about, it does make you feel very grateful that you are not, you know, exposed to some of those terrible things that are going on in the world. So I like to think that I'm very fortunate, but I also work very hard for what I do. Yeah, and I think that's often the case, isn't it? As you say, the people that I've interviewed for the show who consider themselves lucky will undoubtedly have worked very, very hard to get where they are. I don't think there's one of them who would say they they didn't work very, very hard. I think it was um, General Petraeus who I had on the show. He had a lovely way of describing it. He said, "For, for me, luck is where preparedness meets opportunity, which I quite liked. Nice. Yeah, great. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, and equally... If we keep our eyes and ears open, opportunity is everywhere. Mm. It really is. It's just sometimes we just don't see it because we're all too busy with preoccupied and preoccupied with thoughts and things. You watch a child, a small child, they see everything that we don't see. You know, they just look around and they they all of a sudden will laugh at something. You think, what are they laughing at? We haven't seen it, but it's a puppy over the, across the street or something. You know, they've got this just lovely openness because they haven't got their heads full of stuff (laughs) yeah for sure and how sort of common or prevalent is imposter syndrome and is there much kind of research on that and does it affect certain demographics or is there a gender element to it the original psychologists who came up with um, imposter syndrome in the 1970s believed that it was a very much a female issue for high-achieving women who seek perfection. But we now know that actually anybody can have imposter syndrome. There does tend to be people who are high achievers in some way or other. And I, I don't know about you, but the more I learn the more I realise I don't know. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, you see, there is that that driver all the time. You're thinking, oh, crumbs, you know, I've got a doctorate and I still feel as if I've got a zillion things to learn. Of course I have. Absolutely, and that's what makes life absolutely delicious. But in terms of the prevalence, again, is it because of cultural problems within an organisation? Is it because these people actually do have imposter syndrome, as many as people as we think? Is it because we're now talking about it a lot more, so noticing it more and labelling people unnecessarily so? Um, It's very difficult to come up with an idea of it if if it is more prevalent because we haven't got any clean data to work with. 
you know, it's contaminated data because we, the variables are so broad. I would say we're certainly talking about it a lot more. Mm. I assume there's uh, we're talking about a spectrum here, are we? Is it? A, I guess I was going to use the word condition, but it's not technically a condition, is it? But is, is there a spectrum of imposter syndrome feelings, or is it sort of more more binary? Uh, it's nothing's binary with the human brain. <laughs> so um, I don't. I wouldn't suggest it was a spectrum on the spectrum, but I think our Feelings of self-doubt and our lack of confidence can vary enormously depending on whom we're talking to, what's going on in our lives. Sometimes we can wake up feeling extremely confident and getting out there to do all sorts of things. Other times we wake up and we're not feeling in the least bit confident. Uh, So imposter syndrome is a behaviour. It's a thought process. It's a mindset which are all influences on how the brain is wired, of course. So in actual fact, the more we are um, having these internal thoughts and internal mindsets that are negative and putting us down, we're wiring our brain accordingly because of neurogenesis and neuroplasticity and so on and so forth. So therefore, our brain changes our behaviour and our behaviour changes our brain. And when we know that and truly understand it, oh my, you feel as if you're in much more control of your destiny. Because you can decide, thinking, do you know what? I am not going to think like that because I'm wiring my brain accordingly, which is going to make everything worse. Hmm. So I'm just not doing it. So therefore you reframe things and you remember, as I say, things that you have done, your successes so far, and you start to be kinder to yourself and you have more clarity over what you can achieve because you have achieved so much already. Part of me thinks we, we need to take responsibility of these things if we can and we're not too poorly another part of me thinks well actually it might not be our responsibility because it could be a cultural problem so therefore we've got to come at these things both ways i think i've gone mm. off on a tangent i think ben no it's it, it's really it's really relevant and probably my folks i think i asked you two maybe three questions all in one <laughs> there um so again building on what you've just said it sounds like there's a real fine line between maybe getting stuck in a negative cycle of thinking that drives our behavior, that drives kind of more more brain changes. And we're kind of start wiring our brain for negativity and to support the feelings of imposter syndrome. And that's a very fine line from being able to stop and act and give ourselves a positive cycle where we're sort of running some different head tapes, more positive tapes where we can rewire the brain more more positively right yeah definitely and also i'm one to embrace everyone who crosses our path however sometimes we can be dragged down with people are too negative so i think if we are feeling slightly vulnerable or indeed very vulnerable with these issues that we're discussing i think it's wise that we protect ourselves a little bit from negative people and and surround ourselves with people who are far more positive and outgoing and kinder um you know not not setting up jealousy or resentment uh, because a lot of people do that oh you're lucky because and that sets up jealousy and resentment and that's really really not helpful mm. it's not helpful for anyone so again you know surrounding yourself with people who are generally pleased for you who are generally pleased that you're doing well or that you've just had a success or something that's far better to help that person as well as ourselves with our own gremlins and self-doubts if we if we don't dismiss them 
because we believe they're just saying those nice things or whatever. Again, we've got to reframe it and remember exactly who we are yeah. um, and that we're doing all right. That's, that reminds me of a book I once read. I don't recall the authors, but the book is called Who's in Your Personal Boardroom? And it is this concept of building your own personal, I guess, coaching team or or boardroom around you and thinking about all these different roles that you want to support you, depending on what challenge it is you're, you're facing. And one of the roles they talk about in there, they give it the title of the, the nerve giver. So that person who's going to give you that boost of reassurance, give you that support and positive, positive feedback. So it strikes me that intentionally identifying a few of those people and really thinking about who you surround yourself with is a really powerful way to to tackle imposter syndrome right yes absolutely and also find one of those people in your boardroom who you can share your feelings with because um not many people like doing that regardless of gender you know we tend not to share our feelings so readily I tend not I don't like to be gender specific because we're all very very different but um, if you could somebody who you trust who you can share feelings with so they're talking about it and you're talking about it that's really helpful as well. Mm. You mentioned a few times how we are starting to normalise imposter syndrome because it's being spoken about and lots of other mental health conditions and illnesses are also starting to be normalised because there's much more of a conversation around them now. To what degree do you think sort of normalising it, kind of having lots of conversations around it is is helpful or is it is it unhelpful? And the reason I ask is, and this is partly one of the reasons I was keen to have have you and some other guests on talking about imposter syndrome, And I alluded to this at at the start. I found that one-to-one behind closed doors, lots of the senior leaders I I work with will talk about their feelings and sense of being an imposter. Is this the day I'm suddenly going to get caught out? And then sometimes I'll ask them, what degree do you share that with anybody else other than me? And most of them go, I don't. I don't tell anybody. Certainly not my team. And for a while I was starting to think, well, Maybe maybe they should because it normalizes it. And then if other people are having wobbles or feelings of self-doubt, then that'll be good for them because they'll suddenly think, hey, my boss gets this too, so so it's okay. So like, do you sort of subscribe to that line of thought or do you think talking about it and normalizing it kind of brings it to the fore and makes people think about or worry kind of they've got imposter syndrome when actually they haven't haven't at all? If somebody's got imposter syndrome, um, we need to talk about it, we need to discuss it, we need to raise awareness, and we need to understand it. But by normalising it, because we're talking about so much, should not negate the fact that it's not normal. You know, and I'm not saying that in an unkind way, but if you are in such a, a, an area or, or a place in your head where you're feeling that you're a complete fraud and you're going to get found out, that's not helpful. That is not a normal way to, to operate. That is an issue. And I'll give you an example. Let me give you an example. Many years ago, um, when I first met my to-be husband, he worked for Wang Laboratories. Now, Dr. Wang was a genius, and he invented something, this little computer chip that was absolutely astonishing, and IBM bought the patent for it. And with the money, Dr. Wang invested and became IBM's one of IBM's biggest competitors. 
So he was absolute genius, and his company was it was in it was in the eighties of very fast growth, and especially in the IT industry, nobody could, could do any wrong. And they used to have very opulent achiever trips around the world, amazingly opulent. And so the, these the oh, mostly men, and they would go on these trips uh, once a year, and they would be phenomenal because they made their numbers because they're in sales or sales director or whatever. After a while, the rumour was going around that Wang Labs were in big trouble financially. So they, all these guys got wind of it and they decided that they were going to jump ship. They, their CV was out there. They were looking for new jobs. Now, we were in a conference room in the, in North America. Oh, God, it must have been a 1,000 people, if not more. It was massive, absolutely massive. And all they you could smell the testosterone. They were like baying hounds, okay, right. absolutely baying hounds. Dr. Wang um, got throat cancer. So his board took over his um, and did everything, and the, the company were going sliding down big time, which is why these, all these people were jumping ship. So they're all going, they've decided they're leaving, they decided they're leaving. At this conference, all of a sudden, on stage walked Dr. Wang, and he took the microphone. He was a very small man. I can see him now. And his voice was very gravelly because of the treatment he'd been having on his throat cancer. And all he said was this, words to the effect of, thank you for being so fantastic and bringing Wang Labs up to this incredible level. Thank you, thank you. But I know you know we're in trouble and I want to ask for your help. Will you help me? It was like, you could have heard a pin drop. Everyone went quiet. I saw these huge, baying, testosterone-ridden men crying, absolutely crying. Wow. I, I was astonished. And they didn't leave. No one left. They stayed. And they kept Wang going for a bit longer. I was out of the loop, um, so I don't know for how long, but I, I understand it. Well, it's no, not with us now anymore anyway. So, But the point is, if you're a senior person and you are feeling a lack of confidence, you are feeling that there is an issue, it is not a problem to ask for help. Hmm. In fact, it will do you the world of good. It will do your people good because they think they can help you and they will, they, will, they will relish stepping up and lending a hand. It is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength. So if you need help, ask for it. And that is my message. Wow. And that is a wonderful, wonderful place, I think, to draw our conversation to a close mainly for the reason that that absolutely goes to the heart of my belief about leadership drawn from my time in the military listeners to the show will have heard me talking about that so so many times that it is not our job to have all of the answers as a as a leader and when we ask for help as you said it doesn't demonstrate weakness it demonstrates such inner strength i, I believe so. It does. And you're enabling your direct reports to feel good about themselves because they're able to help you. Yeah, incredible. Linda, where can people find out more about you, your work, your programs, if if you've piqued their interest, which I'm certain you have? Okay, well, I'm Dr. Linda Shaw. Uh, so it's Linda at drlindashaw.com is my email address. I'm Linda with a Y, S-H-A-W. My website is drlindashaw.com and I would be delighted to hear from anybody if, I, if you think I can help. Amazing. We'll pop the link, your website link in the show notes for everybody. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a, a wonderful conversation that went off on all sorts of interesting, related and a couple of unrelated tangents. But thank you so much. It's been, been amazing. Thank you very much, Ben. It's been delightful. 
There you have it, folks. Episode 88 of the show. I told you it was an absolute cracker. There was just so many pearls of wisdom in there. And it was probably more than many episodes. It was one that I had to go back and listen to twice myself, actually, just to really absorb and take on board everything that Linda was sharing with us. So I'd recommend that you maybe pause and listen to this one again. If you are getting value from the podcast generally, folks, please do share the link to the show with your friends and colleagues. And if you can, it would be amazing if you could spare just a few minutes to go and rate, review and subscribe to the show wherever you happen to be listening. I say it all the time, but it's absolutely true. It really does help us to keep growing the show and bring you more and more interviews with fantastic guests. That's it for this episode, folks. Take care, see you next time, and until then, lead on.